This is football. I'm Kevin Clark. A classic. A stone-cold classic. Let's go real quick. Rank them. Nostalgia matchups. Packers-Cowboys, number one for me. Niners-Cowboys, number two. And this would be number three, I think. And I know they're all NFC. There's no AFC there, but... I don't know. I'm not old enough to have an AFC thing in my head. Like when I was when, growing up in the 90s, like the NFC team, didn't, wasn't there like when the Broncos won the Super Bowl, had NFC teams before they had won like 17 straight Super Bowls or something? Like that was the, the dominance. That was the, the Fox sort of 430 window when I was a kid, which is some amazing NFC game that the entire nation watched. So this is nostalgia to me. Um, a little different. Also, like the, uh, the other nostalgia is. is NFL primetime music makes you feel like you have to do homework, like give the give to Sunday scaries. Um, but anyway, I was just watching Sports Center, and um, Trent Williams said something I thought was really funny. He said, "From the look on that third and one of the McCaffrey touchdown, on that look, he thought they'd get a yard because of what he knew the play was, what the Packers were lining up for." He said, "Okay, okay, we're going to get a new set of downs," and then McCaffrey just went crazy, scored a touchdown. Um, I think that shows you the value of a guy. And I'm going to get to this in a second about McCaffrey in total, but like it shows you the the sort of added value in having a guy like that. And I think we all go through the machinations of like, okay, what what matters here? You know, what is he just doing? What's blocked? Like, no, like the the look was a yard. He scored the touchdown because he's plus. And when Chris Long was doing his amazing now viral context. Uh, monologue on this show a couple weeks ago, one of the things he said was the Niners would make the Christian McCaffrey trade work. Would the Bucks? Would the Jaguars? Not necessarily. It would be a bad trade for them, but that McCaffrey unlocked so much of what they were able to do. I w- I'd loved this game. Um, what I think the mark of a classic is so many different things are going to go Sort of untold, like best open field fumble recovery I've ever seen. Like unbelievably athletic on that Nixon return. Um, Dre Greenlaw not getting down. Looking at one point, he was like upright, like he wanted to lateral. I don't really, I don't really know where he was going with that. Um, but I want to get into a big question. My big takeaway that I got from a listener, um, and. I think that this is the the question of the age. I'm honestly not going to get into it for this team. I'm going to use it as a jumping off point. So it's from Tim. And Tim says, does this Packers game nudge the Bears more toward Caleb Williams or Justin Fields? So it's an awesome question. And there's arguments for both sides. I think like the, the easiest answer here and the one I'm not going to give is draft Caleb Williams because Jordan Love has established a baseline in that division. And you've got to match it very quickly. So you, you you know what you look like. So you draft Caleb Williams and and you try to make up that ground really quickly. But then there's also the Jordan, the, excuse me, the Justin Fields route where you almost go, and this is not about Jordan Love. This is about the Niners. Look what the Niners did. The Niners have an offense and a defense with the quarterback who the numbers were good. He was off all night. He was off all night and it didn't matter. Because the offense is quarterback proof and the team can overcome a 
let's say an inaccurate night. And I think that's, that's what you want to get to. You don't want to get to, we have a great quarterback. No one has ever won a Super Bowl because they drafted a great quarterback. They drafted a great quarterback and then they figured out what to do with them. That's how you win the Super Bowl. And we've seen failure over and over and over again. Now, by the way, I was really taken aback by all the, the tweets and stuff. And said, well, Packers and Texans, future is bright. Like, that's a very dangerous way to look at things. I think we assume too often that, that everything will progress in a linear fashion. And that's, that's a very dangerous way to look at it. But when I think about what this, this Niners team has been able to do, and by the way, like the reason this team, the, the Niners beat the Packers today was an old team versus a young team. The team knew how to execute versus a team that was the youngest in the league and hasn't learned how to win. But we'll get, we'll get to that. But you look at the way the team is built. And even on, on defense, the spine of the team, linebackers, Fred Warner, Dre Greenlaw, Dre Greenlaw made that huge play at the end, um, taking things away from the opposing quarterbacks uh, middle of the field between the hashes, um, understanding how modern teams want to play and playing uh, the exact mirror opposite and taking it away. Like that's, that's how you win in the NFL now. Um, this was... Brock Purdy's second game all season where he averaged less than seven yards per attempt. By the way, like seven and a half yards over the full season is my threshold for can a team win a Super Bowl. Purdy clears that pretty easily. Is that all him? I can I can do that in a second. But let's focus here on how they help out Brock Purdy. Part of this is, so first of all, both injuries on both sides. Zach Tom goes out with the Packers. Debo Samuel goes out. For the Niners, so both of them had a had a significant injury on the offense that, that I think changed the tone of the game on each side. But McCaffrey, in a too high league, has gained more than ten yards is via the NFL on twenty three carries against two high shells this year, six more than any other player. He had a thirty nine yard rush to against too high. Um, best running back in football out of two running back personnel groupings. Um, again, something that I think the league, the league is trending towards. This will be via Chase Stewart. If the Niners win the Super Bowl, Christian McCaffrey will be the first running back since Terrell Davis to win a Super Bowl and lead the NFL in rushing in the same season. This doesn't happen. Um, Emmett Smith is the only other player to do it. This doesn't happen. A running back being this good on a dominant team does not happen. Yet it works for them. It helps Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy made, I mean, like the last drive, we, let's let's sort of parse this real quick. And we can go midweek, and we've got a quarterback coming on the show on Tuesday. I really want to parse everything and give credit, give the credit that, that is due to him and not due to him, whatever, we'll, we'll go through it. But he was off all night. The Darnell Savage uh, dropped pick six. Some of the throws, like the 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 punt in the, earlier in the fourth quarter, the, the throw was just bad. He doesn't like playing in the rain. Um, thank God Vegas is indoors if they make it. Um, couldn't get a grip on the ball. And I've not done, I've not looked up if he has small hands or not, but a lot of times they say that small hands are are the is a grip thing. Um, but it didn't matter because the team was going to lift him and he made the place needed to on the final drive. The final drive is all the ammo the Niners fans need to say Brock Purdy is the future. Um, and that's all Niners fans wanted is they got they got the win and they didn't have they don't have to to get off the Brock train. What a great scenario that is. 
But when I think about what this game would inform a team like the Bears, I think the key is it doesn't matter what you do because the threshold to compete in this league is so unbelievably high. Just be smart. I know that sounds reductive, but like whatever you're going to do, commit and be really good at it. I think at this point, from what I understand, without a massive overpay from another team, I would draft Caleb Williams. You still have the draft capital. You can still start building. Um, but I think you have to, I mean, you look at the, again, the defense and the Niners. Nick Bosa, six pressures. Chase Young, three pressures. Jerron Hargave, three pressures. Eric Armstead, two pressures. All night, over and over and over again, um, especially in the second half. They were getting at Jordan Love and he was making mistakes on throws that he made look easy, especially in the first half. Those sort of fadeaway throws, back foot throws. Um, I mean, he was he looked like three-pointers out there. And they eventually were able to make him uncomfortable. And so I'm not even sure um, the Bears know how to compete with one of these teams. But I know there's no easy routes. Because even if you take Caleb Williams, you can fail him. The Bears have a long history of failing quarterbacks. And I don't think I think I, I, I think it's it's infrastructure as much as it is anything. Like, I don't know. I, I'm not coming away from this saying, oh, they have to take field, they have to stick with fields, they have to, they have to go with Caleb Williams. It's more for me saying, like, um, there are so many different ways in this league to get really good. And tonight showed you, and really good quickly. Like Jordan Love. So first of all, like for the second time in 15 years, not even counting Brett Favre, for they gave up a first round pick for and, and anointed the starter immediately. For the second time in 15 years, in a league desperate for quarterbacks, where no one can figure out how to identify or acquire a, a good quarterback, keeps everybody up awake at night and people get fired over it. The Packers for the second time said, hey, that extra quarterback we got, he's really good. Let's play him. And he's immediately good immediately good within five months. Um, there's a lesson in that, but that's not even enough right now. This was a young team that was making mistakes against a veteran team that was able to support its quarterback. I think this Niners team is going to make the Super Bowl. I think they're going to beat whoever. I think tonight, I, I know this, this, I don't want to spoil anything. I don't want anybody to get mad at me. I love you Lions fans. We, we loved you up on Friday. Um, tonight was the NFC championship game, in my opinion, because of the way these teams were built because of the depth here, um, because of the quarterback play, because to me, the only way I think the Jordan love, if he won tonight was going to be so hot going into the NFC title game. And I'm talking like, this is hypotheticals because if he closed out that game, he'd be playing better than he was. So in the second half, if he finished strong wins that game. I think he rolls next week. Brock Purdy, this Niners team, they're figuring out how to win. Um, Kyle Shanahan basically makes the NFC title game every time his quarterback is healthy. Um, and I think that just the way that these that team is shaping up right now, to, to win your clunker, as they say in college, is so, so important. So I think they win next week. I think the Niners are going to Las Vegas. So this was a team-building win for me. They, they, that's what this was. And we're going to do – like I know what we're going to do on Monday – I promise you, I'm going to have to do it. I told you I have to do it. We're going to parse a little blame on here. I'm going to go on TV on Wednesday, and we're going to, we're going to talk about it. Blah, 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 blah. We're going to do Purdy. Is Purdy good enough to win a Super Bowl? How much credit does Purdy deserve? It doesn't 
matter inside that building. And that's the point. The, the, those sort of debates, there has never been a bigger disconnect between the conversations inside of buildings and outside buildings than a game like that. Because they're not going to bench Brock Purdy because Brock Purdy's awesome. So then why are you trying to figure out his value internally? They're not negotiating his contract right now. So why are you trying to figure out his value internally? Yet externally, that's all anybody cares about. Right now, everybody in San Francisco or Santa Clara, wherever it is, all they're thinking is, we can win a Super Bowl. There's a proof of concept here with Brock Purdy if we do X, Y, and Z. If, Brock, if Debo Samuel's out for a while, they can still win the Super Bowl. That's the important thing. Brock Purdy is a savant at running Kyle Shanahan's offense. Even though he had a bad game tonight against a really athletic young defense, as I said, it was still uh, basically the second worst game of his of his season. He plays at an incredibly high level. I do not think he's going to have two bad games in a row like this. I do not think, by the way, um, it, unless it is in a massive downpour next week, he's going to have trouble gripping the ball. Yes, it's a flaw. He doesn't like throwing in the rain, but everybody has those little flaws. So I believe in this Niners team. I believe in the way they're built. I believe in like how many times have we seen it? Tom Brady's last Super Bowl win with the Patriots was a 13 to 3 game. Completely different than a bunch of the other games, big games he's won in his career. This is this is a team building thing. When Patrick Mahomes looked at his most vulnerable was against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and it was literally literally the biggest discrepancy in pressures on a team. So Brady versus Mahomes. Brady was pressured the least and Mahomes is pressured the most out of any game, I believe, on record in the next-gen stats era. Sometimes it's just team building and who's around you. And tonight, that's what Brock Purdy had a win for. And, um, you know, back to the original question, God bless the Bears because they got a lot of work to do. Why should you bet with Caesar Sportsbook? Two words, Caesar's rewards. Every bet brings you closer to the types of benefits only Caesars can offer. Hotel stays, VIP experiences, sports and concert tickets, and more. It's not just an app, it's an empire. 21 and up must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, or Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Utah, and other states where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Ohio, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, Crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537. Or Maryland, visit mdgamblinghelp.org. Or West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, D.C., Nevada, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, if you or a loved one is experiencing problems with gambling, please call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org for 24-7 support. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. 
How about businesses on Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. All right, let's get to uh, the Ravens. So I'm as big a, a Lamar fan as you can get. Wrote a lot of stories on him. Spent on a couple of my shows. Um, I think he's as special as it gets. I've been watching him since he was in high school. But it was okay. It's okay to process the playoff version of a player differently until they've shown you something. Lamar had not played well in the playoffs. The best quarterback rating he never had was in that awful game, his first one ever against the Chargers where they threw a bunch of DBs at him. Um, and he was playing different. And I always go back, speaking of the Niners, to Bill Walsh. And he said there's no such thing really as clutch. It's just operating normally when everybody else starts to press. And there are great, great athletes who have spent a long time pressing. I was just reading about the 1960 U.S. Open in golf, as one does. And they were saying, you know, basically, that, you know, Arnold Palmer said Jack Nicklaus didn't know how to win yet. Young guy, didn't know how to win. And then guess what? Jack Nicklaus learned how to win, and he won more than anybody in the history of golf. Still, that's still true. Um, learning how to win is a skill. And, so, and learning how to win in January is a skill. It's different. It's different when defenses are always good. By the way, like C.J. Stroud was the fourth rookie to play a playoff game against the number one scoring defense. They've all lost now. They've all lost. Young players, especially in their career, can struggle. Lamar Jackson is no longer a young player. He has developed so many different parts of his game. But also, back to team building, not everybody gets the help they need to get there. And Lamar Jackson... The defense helps. Mike McDonald, the, the DC helps. Todd Monk and the OC certainly helps. Zay Flowers helps a little bit. Everybody keeps saying, what happened at halftime? Ooh, did he give a little speech at halftime? Did Harbaugh give a little speech at halftime? Did Lamar give a little speech at halftime? I, apparently they did. Like uh, John Harbaugh said he was edgy. Uh, Lamar, I guess, was doing some yelling. But they were just a better team than the Texans. Um, first of all, Lamar Jackson, first point in NFL history, in any game, in any not not playoff game, regular season or playoff, to have two passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns, 100 rushing yards, and 100 passer rating. Never happened before. History of football. Played football for a long ass time. And I saw a stat that blew my mind, which is that Lamar Jackson is the first quarterback to lead its team in rushing yards and advance beyond the divisional round. It had never happened. 
And by the way, Jackson's led the is via the NFL. Jackson's led the the Ravens rushing for five straight seasons. That's actually probably a bad sign. He's probably get somebody else who can lead the team in rushing. But that, let's put that aside for a second. Um, he's doing things differently, but the same. He has not lost the essence of Lamar when he gets out into the open field. He is as hard to predict, to tackle, to decipher than anybody, but he can also sling it down the field. Um, he has been able to answer all of the questions. If I'm someone who's going to play Lamar Jackson, if I'm one of the AFC teams playing Sunday, the thing I'm very worried about is the Texans probably had the blueprint and it did not matter. They got worn down. Because no one has ever blitzed Lamar Jackson more than the Houston Texans did on Saturday. And it didn't matter. It mattered a little tiny bit at the beginning. First of all, the Texans are not even a blitzing team. They changed their identity, which if you listen to the show, you know that coaches have raved about D'Amico Ryan's idea to implement a game plan one week to the next. But they blitzed uh, 75% of the time. And Lamar was awesome against it. 13 of 18, 120 yards, two touchdowns. And by the way, he got rid of the ball more than a second quicker versus the blitz in the second half compared to the first half. You went about halftime speeches. It's this, Lamar, when they're coming, get rid of the ball. Good stuff, buddy. Like, that's that's better than any speech. And um, the problem now is that if you look at some of the EPA stats or whatever, that was where he struggled. It was, it was when six guys, five guys, seven guys in some cases would come at you, he would struggle. Don't come at Lamar Jackson with a three-man rush and drop a bunch of guys back. He will punish you. The EPA per play was for against four or three, all positive. Negative when a bunch of guys came. Well, the Texans tried it, didn't work. Um, second half, they were making all the right decisions. The Ravens were, and the Texans just seemed like they were out of gas. Lamar, uh, fourth highest success rate of his career. Um, quick passes. He was nine of nine of nine for seventy-seven yards, eight point six yards per attempt. Um, this is what I was talking about last week when I said the best part of Lamar now is the quick decisions married with the incredible improvisation. And the worst, to me, the worst habits when Lamar was, you know, kind of with Greg, Greg Roman, just maybe hitting some lulls. The worst moments to me were when he was in that medium zone and he was just patting the ball and running back there and waiting for something to, to happen. It's either, first of all, some great design runs today, but quick game plus running when you have to. And I think that's the dangerous combination to me. Um, on the Texan side, they gave it all they could. Um, this Again, this was a roster thing. Um, I wouldn't have been surprised if they won because, again, I go back to the thing. Great franchise quarterbacks don't wait. Franchise-changing guys change franchises. Unfortunately, C.J. Stroud ran into a different franchise-changing guy in Lamar Jackson. There's a bunch of guys that that Texans team would have toppled today. A bunch of guys. The Ravens happen to be a buzzsaw. Um, they're good at everything. The pressure rates were just out of control today. Um, they were coming at C.J. Stroud all the time. Um, Matabuke, 
four pressures, three of which came against Shaq Mason. Uh, Ravens had 12 pass rushers generated pressure. Uh, third quickest to the ball in the backfield this season. So this was just a Ravens team that is peaking. And like, again, I'm not going to say they're going to the Super Bowl because Mahomes and Allen, what did Peyton Manning say on the show a couple weeks ago? Like no one wants to face the Bills because you don't know what you're going to get. That could be true for the next two games. Nobody wants to face Patrick Mahomes because he's Patrick freaking Mahomes. So it's a little more of a toss up in the AFC. I don't think it's over. But I do know what the most complete team is. If we're awarding something on paper, it's the Baltimore Ravens. I, I adore this team. I adore the – everything is the, – the problem with playing a team like the Ravens is not just Lamar. And again, they're, they're, at, they're better against good teams than any team in the league. Lamar has his stats about um, – what is it? It's, uh, it's it, He has like the last three games of a perfect passer rating with, with a certain threshold have all been him. Like, this is what he does. At at his best, he is more unstoppable than any player in the league. Typically, I'd rank Mahomes ahead of him, but I'm not doing it this year. Nobody at their best is better than Lamar Jackson and the Ravens right now. And this year, the, the totality of this year, that's that has been true. And the stats back that up. They don't lose to good teams because they play well against good teams and the, the, the good teams have to throw their hands up. I did a story a couple of years ago and they said the linebackers – the, the Mark Andrews and some of those guys would say the linebackers and the other team would just look over at their sideline and say, what am I supposed to do? And the coach would say, we don't know. We don't know. That's what's happening when Lamar is clicking and right now is clicking. Now we can all, they can always have the self-destructive game. We've seen it. The Colts game earlier this year, obviously the Titans game two years ago, we've seen that. But right now I don't see any evidence that's going to happen. They're making adjustments. They've got the coaches. All of their flaws are answered. The blitz, which we've talked about as a weakness, was answered today. They're answering every question, which is how you win in January. I love this team. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. So let's get to questions. We're going to start with Keith, who wants to know, with all the advancements in stats, analytics, etc., why are so many otherwise good head coaches still so, so terrible at clock management? Easy one. First of all, these guys, even though we think they're young, still came up in like 2005, 2006, 2007. Old school football. They were taught by John Gruden, by Mike Shanahan. Um, I'm talking about the Shanahan tree that was so prevalent tonight. Um, John Harbaugh is good at clock management. He's, he's older. It's a case-by-case thing. They don't value it. 
These are guys who, who believe in the core tenets of old school football. And they didn't play Madden growing up. Um, you know, I've always felt, I've always joked about this, but I, I my longstanding joke is that coaches stop consuming pop culture when they become coordinators. Like it happens all the time. Old coaches will say, oh yeah, I love ACDC. And like Kyle Shanahan, one of his kids named after Lil Wayne because he became a coordinator in, you know, 2007 or whatever. Um, they stop learning that stuff. And I think a lot of times they stop learning certain things about football philosophy. And that's what's so impressive about a Belichick or an Andy Reid where they innovate when they're 67 years old and they, under, they start understanding spread concepts and air raid and stuff like that. They didn't really get well-versed. And I think that's amazing. But it's a mixture of not A, not caring. If they cared, they would change. Um, being older than we think in football terms. And then um, maybe a more of a closed loop on hiring. Remember, they, a lot of these guys hire their friends and friends of friends. And there's not a lot of analytics going on within that community. So I'm not saying it's no analytics. I'm just saying these guys, despite being young, despite dressing better than the typical NFL coach, um, they are still old school guys at heart. Up next, we're going to hear from Brett. Was that the most meh? Closing argument for a head coaching job Bobby Slowick could have given? Yeah, so I was at Kevin Stefanski, who I think we all agree is a good coach. I was at Kevin Stefanski's last game, which I believe was a Vikings-Niners playoff game in Santa Clara. I believe that was the game. And laid an egg, looked like crap. Um, by the way, I met most of the guy, like I met like Mike McDaniel and all those guys, uh, there for the first time. Cause I was sitting next to Kirk cousins and all came over and I was like, wow, the Niner staff loves Kirk cousins. Um, but Stefanski laid an egg and everybody was saying, how could you possibly hire Stefanski, um, to be the Browns coach? He laid an egg in this game. And I went and I looked back and like McVay's last game was an egg. Like I, you cannot, Bobby Slowick runs the ball a lot. He was going against a really good defense. I understand the impulse to say, oh, he didn't get it done on the biggest stage. He still, he worked miracles this, this year. And I don't think, like, obviously CJ Stroud was going to have his breakout, but he guided a young quarterback. What else do you want um, if you're an owner? If you're if you're David Tepper and you see what he did with CJ Stroud as the offensive coach with the defensive head coach, don't you say, hey, do that with Bryce Young, please. Let's just give Bryce Young the platform to succeed. I'm not saying he's the hire. I'm just saying I wouldn't look at how he performed against an awesome DC, an awesome, really talented defense, and say this is this is this is final. This is there's some finality here. I, I don't think so. Um, one game does not a coach make. This was not a meh resume. However, bad owners are the type of guys who are hiring coaches this time of year, and they might overthink it. Our last question is from Wookie, who asks, why do we have a chain gang in the year of our Lord 2024? I like the chain gang. So I think the issue, so they have the chips in the balls now. They really do. That's why they have a lot of data on the balls. But they don't use it for marking where the ball is. Not totally sure why that is. Um, they're piloting it. Like I, I know they're they're trying to do it at one point, at some point. For me, I don't think the 
chain is the problem. I think the bad spots are the problem. We saw that earlier on the the first uh, close call with the Packers. We saw with Green Bay having a challenge later when Jordan Love didn't go down, even though that would have been hard to do because he wouldn't have figured they still would have thought he was down, right? That was the actual issue, not the spot of where the ball was. Um, so I don't, I think that the chains are something that everybody needs, which is it, it propels the drama. The NFL wants the chains because we bring out the little chains and we, we stretch them out and we go, Oh yeah, that's exciting. That's always going to stay. The problem is the chips in the ball is to tell you where the actual ball is and then things will cook from there. Um, so I'm in favor of the chain, keep the chain improve the spots with chips in the ball. That's all I ask. That's how you fix everything. Um, All right, we'll be back on Sunday night with a recap of um, hopefully games as good as this. Then on Wednesday, we'll have the aforementioned quarterback on to break it down. We've never had this person before. I'm very excited. And then normal, normal episodes all week. Um, This has been football. Thank you to Flynn. Thank you to Miles. We'll see you tomorrow.